Hello and welcome to a Camino del Alma Minute. My name is Ernie Vecchio, a trauma psychologist turned wisdom teacher that is hiking and biking across the United States to remind people that their inner lives matter. We have a very special guest uh, joining us in studio here on High Plains Focus here on this Monday, August the 6th. We'd like to bring in Mr. Ernie Vecchio. Good morning, Ernie. Good morning, Ethan. Thank you guys so much for having me. You bet. So, of course, I'm sure a lot of folks here locally are just tuning in saying, who's Ernie Vecchio? So just tell us a little bit about yourself, first and foremost. Yeah, well, I'm a trauma psychologist going across the country kind of sharing with people uh, the benefit of, of adversity. Uh, and and how you can grow from adversity. Uh, I've spent my entire career working with severe trauma, uh, and what that's taught me about the human experience, human condition, uh, I have turned into a philosophy and, and a theoretical approach uh, in therapy that I call intentional guided evolution. So uh, yeah, so that's that's what I'm doing, and I'm and I'm hiking and biking. Uh, about 80% biking <laughs> across the country. And when I get really sore on the bike, I'll take a day off and, and hike 10 or 12 miles. I was going to say, biking sounds a little bit easier than than yeah. hiking, than walking. But then, as you say, you know, depending on where you're at and especially making your way west, and, you know, we talked about this off air before the show, gain quite a bit of altitude without even realizing it, and that, that can uh, put a little wear and tear on you. Yeah, I'm feeling it already. It's only been uh, just from Kansas to where I'm at now. has only been about a 900, you know, kind of increase in the in the height of elevation, but I can feel it on the bicycle, so yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you start this journey? Uh, I started at Lou's Beach uh, on the East Coast uh, at Cape Henlopen State Park and what's in the, Delaware. Delaware, Delaware. Yeah. okay. Okay, so obviously made a, made it quite quite far already. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was doing the states border to border until I got uh, to Ohio, and I realized that uh, for me to be done by Thanksgiving, uh, I couldn't do the states border to border, uh, and so now I'm doing uh, 250 to 300 miles per state, and now that I'm down to three left, uh, Utah, of course, Colorado, mm-hmm. Utah, and then California, uh, for me to hit my, my goal— uh, I got to do about 360 miles per state. So that's where I'm doing now. Absolutely. And even with that, those little stretches of miles you select, you still get to see quite a bit of each state. Yeah, yeah. That part's been fun. And meeting the people and talking. And, and like I was saying to you before we came on the air, uh, you know, just seeing what's on people's minds, what's 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 the concern in different areas of the country. And, and the energy, there's actually a, feel, uh, a difference in the energy from state to state. And so being able to kind of uh, go through each state, talk to different folks, different issues crop up as you talked about and as a psychologist you're able to kind of get varying perspectives I'm sure yeah yeah well it's been uh, kind of eye-opening in the sense that you know you you read about these problems across the country or you hear about them but you don't really experience them directly and uh, I I was saying when I came into Ohio for example the opiate issue in Ohio uh, was I mean I no sooner hit Ohio and and, and, and the suicides there and the ODs were really unbelievable. And so that's been kind of interesting. And, and I've had opportunities to talk with folks that have, you know, being that I am a psychologist, people tend to open up and share things when, uh, when they're alone. And so, yeah, it's, it's been uh, a chance for me to kind of inspire them to use the adversity that they are experiencing uh, in a way that's useful instead of spinning in the in the material, whatever it may be, yeah. You mentioned uh, to me uh, before we came on that there was a certain point uh, in, when you got into adulthood that you kind of 
all of a sudden kind of realized, okay, here, here is my life. Here's what I'm doing. Uh, you, you dealt with some trauma, and then you, you mentioned that in talking to folks and the stuff that they've had to do with particularly traumatic experiences, it really kind of opened your mind a little bit. When I came into the field, I was 27 years old, uh, which is you know, light years ago. As I came into the helping field, it's not uh, uncommon for many professional helpers to have traumatic histories themselves. And they're either in the profession to work on their own stuff or they're in the profession to hide. <laughs> and so I fortunately, because of the setting that I was in and the kind of work I was doing, that I was being forced to work on my own material, my own, my own issues, whatever they may be. And so whatever trauma I might have had as a child uh, and as a young adult, uh, it seemed tiny in comparison to losing a spinal cord or amputation uh, or paralysis or head injury. So I had to learn how to deal with the human experience at a deeper level. I wrote a book years ago called The Soul's Intent, and the, the tagline for the book is that you think you get here when you're born, but you don't actually get here till you choose to arrive. So my arrival was around 39, and as I told you outside, I'm 67, so uh, that's, believe it or not, right on time. Mid midlife is typically when people wake up and begin to look at their life with a different set of eyes because their time left kind of matches the time they've been here. And midlife is a time to kind of put some things in perspective. And so that certainly happened to me as a professional and as an individual. Now, here's what's interesting. Of course, you just you re revealed your age, so I didn't have to. <laughs> but 67, now we're on the radio, so folks can't see you. But if they did, I don't think anybody would have guessed that you're 67 because you look great. Yeah, well, thank you for that. I get that a lot. People guess me to be in my late 40s or 50s, early 50s. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I said that I used to be an athlete, and mm -hmm. I think that's another reason why I'm doing this besides, you know, trying to get folks to look at their inner lives. Uh, I wanted to see if I could do it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know? I mean, the athlete in me wanted to see if I could do it. And so, yeah. Well, it's, it's great to be able to take on challenges like that. And of course, you keep, you know, you're able to keep yourself in shape. So, uh, you, as you said, you just wanted to test yourself out and, and to be able to not only physically go on a journey, but also from a mental perspective, to be able to gain a lot out of it as well. When I first came up with the idea of doing it, uh, I was inspired by the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which is a pilgrimage that people do. I think a quarter of a million people do it a year. Uh, I couldn't do it because uh, I hurt my back at 62. And so I thought, well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a Camino of my own uh, because I wrote a book called The Soul's Intent. I'm going to call it the Camino del Alma, which is way of the soul in Spanish, right? And that, that seemed to ring. And so, yeah, and so that's, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm doing my own Camino uh, as, I, as I go across the country. And when I'm, when I'm out, you know, by myself in the middle of nowhere, and I feel like that I'm cheating because I'm not pedaling up this hill or, I'm not, uh, or I didn't do the mileage that day that I was supposed to do, I go, wait a minute, this is my Camino. It's my, it's my trip across the country. I'm not cheating. I'm doing it the way I have to do it that particular day. Yeah. So you started this in Delaware, and now you're in eastern Colorado, so I'm sure along the way there's been, as far as sightseeing is concerned, there's been all kinds of uh, highlights. And you have a drone that you have with it that you kind of put up every once in a while to get you know, some photos and a nice, uh, nice, nice look at the landscape. Yeah, I just started using the drone. Uh, uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to a friend of mine that's also uh, on the trail with me, is, which is Brad Trex America. Uh, he's uh, highlighting the ADT and, 
and kind of sharing with the public that the trail exists and how close they are to it or whatever. I, I've got a similar drone to his, but I was intimidated to use it, and he kind of inspired me to put it up in the air. So I haven't done as many shots as I would have liked, but uh, but I'm starting to to get comfortable with it now. And so as I get into this beautiful section of, of your state, it's going to be fun to kind of take some drone shots. Yeah. So let's kind of go over, uh, if you don't mind, uh, just some of the most recent uh, places you've been to. Uh, Western Kansas, I notice here, uh, a picture you put on here of wind farms out uh, east of Dodge City uh, near Kinsley, uh, Spearville. A lot of folks here realize that, that that seems like that's all there is for miles around. Yeah, I was blown away by that. We we have some of those in the state that I am from on top of the uh, Canaan Mountain. And uh, I don't I don't like how they look. And so <laughs> when I saw those, I think they just take away from the landscape on top of the mountains. But when I came into uh, Kansas and saw that, I was blown away. I didn't realize you had so many windmills. Uh, and somebody told me that they go all the way to Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and it's a it's an economy builder here. So yeah, it makes makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. So you you've, you've seen that. Uh, you've been through Dodge City, of course. Uh, Dodge City in itself has a lot of history, and it's got a kind of a uh, it's got kind of a reputation as a kind of an old West kind of outlaw spot, and and well beyond that as well. So I'm sure I'm sure that was cool for you to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, that was. And and the comical part about that that piece uh, is that uh, one time I was talking to my son who is 38 uh, this has been years ago but if he could be born in history you know and, and live in history some other time which which time would he pick I believe he said ancient Rome and I said the old west <laughs> there you go <laughs> because I wanted to be Billy the kid right and uh, so I said that on one of my my YouTube videos that I made so yeah so that it was kind of cool to be in Dodge City absolutely and yeah. so being there and then coming here across the state line to Colorado uh, you mentioned that uh, you, traveling on the, along the roads, a lot of them, of course, out here, very rural, a lot of gravel roads. And so being able to kind of see, okay, now we're in Colorado, but this is still very different from what a lot of folks outside the area think of Colorado. The fact that I'm doing the, uh, or paralleling, I should say, the American Discovery Trail, if I stay true to that trail, much of it is is for hiking, right? And so it takes me off onto gravel roads. And, and in some cases, sand, roads that are sand, and you cannot bike on sand, and gravel is, 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 is hard as well. So, so I had to do parallel routes uh, on that, and I got lost a couple of times. In fact, I caused a stampede out on somebody's property when, <laughs> when, I got into, uh, when I got here because I got lost. I got off the trail, and it's, you know, had all these signs, keep out private property, but I was lost. I had to get, and so uh-huh. I used my GPS to get back on track, but I crossed the plains of Colorado <laughs> where there were all these cattle, and uh, apparently I spooked them, and they took off, and I tried to get a picture of it. There was all this dust flying, and I said online, I caused a stampede in Colorado. <laughs> Totally by accident. Yeah, I was was hoping nobody saw me or shot me. Oh, that was another thing that happened uh, when I was coming across Kansas. Uh, I was coming, um, I think it's the Flint, the Flint Hills Trail. You come across a sign that on the sign says, beware, you are in direct line of gunfire. Use the walkie-talkie in the bucket and we'll let you pass kind of a thing. And I'm going like, what? <laughs> I heard this gunshots all around me. And so I get on the walkie-talkie, and the, and the guy, and I said, uh, hello? And he goes, you're clear. You'll be clear. And so I, uh, and so all the gun shooting stops. I'm biking right in front of a shooting range. 
out so of the I can mi- see why they put it out there. Out in the middle of Kansas. Yeah, and I thought, oh, my gosh. And needless to say, I biked a little quicker through that section <laughs> because of that. But, yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. But, yeah, so it's been little tiny things like that that you kind of had to be there to experience it. But it was uh, – that was kind of rich. <laughs> as I understand, Ernie, as you made your way uh, outward, uh, out this way, you set up a home base in a particular area, in this case, Lamar, mm-hmm. and you'll soon be in Pueblo. And so you'll travel and be able to you know, bike and hike and see everything in between. But you have a home base that you spend a period of days uh, at. And so while you've been here, what have been some of the more interesting things that you've discovered since coming out here? You mean in Colorado itself? Yeah, yeah, in this area. Well, well, right now, well, I, there's a couple things. I uh, I wasn't aware of um, of the history of this area, and uh, of course, as I'm coming across the country, I'm doing rail trails. I'm, I'm on the Santa Fe Trail, which which right. goes which goes through here, and uh, and so you get all these little cool little train stations. Uh, and in fact, in some of these little towns here close by. That's the nicest building in the town is the train station <laughs> because the, because it looks like a museum and it's been yeah. and it's been taken care of it's been refurbished in some way. I wasn't aware uh, again, I grew up on a farm, but I wasn't aware of uh, I don't know what you call them feed uh, feedlots feedlots yep. I wasn't aware they even existed. That that plus the odor of the feedlots, <laughs> the smell of money. Some say around. Yeah, there. and and they're all around Lamar. I think you would have two or three of them. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. one just to the west of town. You go further along Highway 50, you'll see a couple of mo- a couple of others. Well, trust as well. me, on a bicycle, you're pretty much stuck in that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, you don't. You can hardly <laughs> breathe when you're going through it, and you can't get through it fast enough. But I wasn't aware of that kind of a dynamic for for beef cattle. I guess that's what that's for. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in fact, I asked I had asked somebody what what they keeping all those cows in one spot for and they explained right yeah yeah and and i grew up on a farm uh, but we never you know I, I guess they were much more free-range cattle than than these i guess and that and the people you know I mean, i've met a lot of wonderful people since i've gotten into colorado and I, in fact i said about the energy shift uh one of the things that's happening uh, and i mean literally since i crossed the border of colorado people are tuning their horns at me giving me a thumbs up they're they're slowing down and asking me if i'm okay i've had people turn around because i'm getting off the bike to rest and they they've they've stopped and asked if i needed help i mean that's only happened in Colorado. That's not happened anywhere else. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because, well, and, and, and I think a lot of folks will probably tell you, too, that this is an area, especially along the Highway 50 corridor, you have a lot of folks that, uh, that travel along this way. Uh, here in Colorado, this is one of the main uh, you know, routes, east and west. The other would be I-70 to the north, so there's not a, a great deal of options for people going that direction. So they're either along I-70 or they're, they're along here. Yeah, yeah, but that's been kind of nice, and so I, I'm excited as I as I head further west to uh, to meet the people because the energy kind of fits the context of my work. The idea uh, is that we're all trying to uh, have a reciprocal relationship with ourselves and the world around us in some way, uh, in spite of the 24 or 48 hour news cycle that we're that we're kind of plagued with right now. And believe it or not, that's on people's minds more than than they would like to admit. And it's having an effect. And so I'm, I'm bumping into that as well as I go across the country, the, the amount of people that are kind of stuck in that news cycle. And uh, so my stuff and the things that I'm wanting to talk about, which is this, this idea of, of reconnecting to your inner compass, sounds like a small deal. But the ego, the human ego, is the default compass. The only thing that puts you back in touch with your real compass typically is adversity. And so said in, in terms that people can probably get more clear is that we're in our heads a lot, not in our bodies. And in our heads... 60,000 thoughts a day is about what we think. Wow. 
and about 68% of that is, uh, is just repetitive thinking, and, and so there's hardly any, any room for new thought. And that's the beauty of what I'm doing with this, this cross-country thing is that I get a lot of time in my version of church, you know, being out in the quiet in nature. Sometimes on the highway, I'm always kind of amazed how quiet it is when, yeah. there's, no, when there's no cars or trucks going by. It's, I mean, and I'm literally in the middle of nowhere. Kind of a, a basic, but I'm sure, you know, probably a long, probably might have a long-winded answer as far as your main message to folks as you're, as you're making your way out here on this journey. I think that um, we've gotten away from um, thinking that our subjective experience, what we feel about our lives, is important, and we're spending a lot of time thinking about our lives. Psychology says that um, how you think is how you feel, and then medical science comes around and says that what you, uh, what you th- believe is what you become, down to the cells of who you are. The distance between what you think and what you feel is a gap. And that gap's getting larger. And, uh, and so if you're not careful, what you tend to put in that void is all the externals that are going on in the country and not realizing that, um, that what you feel and, and what, your, what your intuition is, what your gut feeling is, is something that you need to steer back to. That's how the whole concept of inner lives came into, come into being for me is, is that, uh, you know, I, I said... Uh, I told you off the air that Scott Peck wrote a book, who was a Christian psychiatrist, wrote a book, I think, in 75 or 79, The Road Less Traveled. I'd read the book when it came out years ago, but I'd forgotten the contents of the book. So when I went back and looked at it again, I found there wasn't a whole lot in the book, really, that was profound. But the title was profound. And, of course, The Road Less Traveled is a road inward. And so what I'm implying or suggesting in my work with trauma is, is that by working with so many different people, thousands of people in my career that have, that, have, that have undergone severe trauma, that I've connected the dots. And in that connecting of the dots, uh, I have created a map, if you will, of the human experience that really takes you from birth to death. It's a developmental model. So it's a philosophy and a theory of how to be in the world and how to be your best version of whatever that is. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, there's a lot of reasons people do journeys like this uh, for various causes, and this one is 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 quite unique in a way with what you're doing, Ernie. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's um, if if I can get people to just talk about, you know, how important it is to have an inner life and how important it is to be connected to your true compass, uh, people think that the heart's just a pump, <laughs> and uh, we know now the um, that the heart sends about a thousand signals to the to the brain for every one signal the brain sends to it. Uh, uh, so that so the body is is intelligent, but even more importantly, the um, uh, when I wrote the soul's intent, um, working with thousands of people who were being thrust in, in a, a, a despairing place, um, I witnessed something inside of them that was pulling them into the present in spite of their their trauma, and I wanted to know what this something was. Well, there's a name for it. It's it's the soul. Well, when I began this process, uh, I used to use a metaphor to describe the soul. I used the, the metaphor of a candle in a closed container, and the container being your body. And I asked people, what does the candle need to burn in the closed container? Well, it needs oxygen. So life comes at the container from all sides. And to self-protect, we put layers and layers and layers around ourselves to defend ourselves from these outside forces. That is the human ego. People think of the ego as, as like a balloon 
that's that's inflated or deflated when in fact it's more like an onion and uh so just this past year ethan uh we took a picture of what happens when a sperm fertilizes an egg and i'm talking about when it first comes in contact with it a lot of people you know say well it's pregnancy and i said well it's more than that a burst of light happens and you can tell how how healthy the egg is by how bright the flash is so to me in the work i do that is the birth of a human soul and that intelligence now science is calling unified consciousness and so this this consciousness this intelligence that we all walk around with we're not tapping into it unless we have to and so my journey across the country is saying well you don't have to wait to lose your legs you don't have to wait for the next trauma you have enough already in your life have enough adversity already now to turn that convert that into useful adversity you know we say in the culture that adversity builds character we have forgotten that it tears it down first before it builds character and so so that's the that's that's kind of the theme of what i'm doing and and getting that across to people and it seemed like a a, a worthy reason to do it absolutely and you mentioned that the, there's there's someone that's kind of along with you on, on this journey uh, you mentioned his name earlier. Yeah, bradtrexamerica.com. Uh, yeah, I met Brad, uh, I think, in a cornfield in Missouri. And uh, at that particular day, was without water and was in kind of a, it was kind of stranded a little bit. And so I, I, we became fast friends. And, and he's had some experiences that, uh, that I'm sure he'll, he's sharing with his people. But um, he's been an inspiration to me as well because he's, uh, he's doing this all on foot. And he's carrying a backpack. And he's stealth camping and doing all kinds of things that I could not do at my age. Uh, so, yeah, he, he gets a lot of respect for that, yeah. Any, anyone else uh, kind of uh, guiding you along, or is it just you? No, it's just me. I, I, I've bumped into some bikers. Uh, in fact, in the beginning, I met a couple from, from Austria. Oh, wow. Who was doing the ADT, uh, but they were only doing six months, and I think they were coming off the trail uh, around Illinois, no, around around now, maybe around Colorado, but they were only doing six months across the country. And bikers I see all the time. In fact, I had a biker collide with me one, one day when I wasn't paying attention. He, in the middle of nowhere, yeah, he ran into the back of my right leg, and uh, I literally had, had to deal with that for a couple of weeks. He felt bad about it, but he had his head down while he was pumping up a hill, and he ran right into me. <laughs> and I'm talking in an isolated highway. I mean, wow. he had this massive highway. And he hits me on the side of the road because he wasn't looking. <laughs> yeah. So lots of stories like that. Lots of stories. Well, when you cover you cover that much ground over a period of time, you, you never know what you're going to come across, but it's bound to be interesting. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been it's been uh, hard some days to get out of bed and and to stay inspired uh, because you know you tend to think with with people being so externally controlled and so externally kind of. Uh, uh, stuck in that news cycle I was talking about, that, you know, who's really going to care about this idea of inner lives matter and who's going to care about uh, uh, how important it is to be connected to this. So I have days where I'm very inspired and I get out of bed and, I, and, I'm, and I'm out on the bike or I'm out hiking and I, and I can't believe I'm doing what I'm doing. And then I also have days where I go like, you know what, never mind, you know. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's been an up and down experience, but that's, that's part of the journey. I was about to say that 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 seems like uh, when you when you bottle it all together that enriches the entire journey Absolutely. even more so to come by. it's it's not all roses and everything's great you know sometimes there's going to be tough days and, and there's going to be good days and so uh, that's that's uh, metaphorically that's kind of how life is yeah yeah i had one friend ask me if uh, if it was exciting 
and I, that's not the word I would use to describe what I'm, what I'm experiencing. Uh, it's, it's enlightening, for sure, and, uh, and it's been a challenge. And, and there has been times of just pure inspiration, you know, uh, where, like I said before, when I get all the noise out of the way and, and thoughts, new thoughts come through about the work I'm doing and how I want to get it across. Because part of the issue we have in the mental health profession in, uh, in general is a language problem. And uh, I was telling you on the break that um, one of the reasons that I'm doing the inner lives piece and talking about the inner inner world is is that most of my trauma patients, when they came to the hospital, were having a crisis of faith, and it didn't make any difference what their belief system was. They all thought they were being punished for living the wrong kind of life. And I wasn't trained, you know, as a psychologist to deal with spiritual issues, but there they were, right? And so I had to figure out a way to do that. And so I've, I've created a language uh, and a vocabulary, if you will, to talk about soul and spirit that is not religious and which is needed in the culture. Uh, and again, that's, that's kind of why I'm doing this is that I, I want to give people a context that is generic. Uh, I've integrated about nine counseling theory, if you will, uh, and, and I've kind of integrated the spiritual piece to it so it deals with the whole the whole human experience, and that's what's missing. If um, when you asked me earlier <clears throat> what I wanted to get across, the other thing that uh, that, that tends to come out in the in the news is we're looking for a pattern, and what is causing the overdoses, the suicides, the shootings, and and nobody can find one. My work has revealed it, I, I believe, and that is that there's a psycho spiritual void. Other words that. Uh, that that space I was talking about between what you feel and what you think, the larger it gets, the larger the gap is, and in that gap is a void, and so uh, and so that psycho spiritual void, which is we're we're trying to to get around the psychology of who we are. There's no way to get around the ego, and is that something that's kind of manifests itself over time? Do you yes, think? yeah, yeah. That's a good question because I, in fact my son was born in 1980, and I, I tell people that. Uh, because I was paying attention to the culture at the time, my demon is a young person with shame. I would say 1940, 1950s, 60s, and so theme of the culture was guilt. It was a, we were a guilt-driven culture. The compensation for guilt in the culture has always been religion. Uh, the compensation for shame is narcissism. Well, that shift between those two things is what I've witnessed happen. Well, guilt is I made a mistake. Shame is I am a mistake. So you can see that shame is a much deeper wound to the psyche, and it's a much deeper wound to the ego. And so, so this beyond ego conversation I'm trying to have is to address that, that, uh, that we have a lot of people walking around that are, that are feeling detached, their, their self-esteem is low, they're trying to fake it till they make it, and they want it right now, immediately, without, you know, they, we've forgotten there's a dues-paying process to growing up, there's a dues-paying process to, to getting wisdom, right? You have to labor your way through it. It's interesting you mentioned egos. Like every <clears throat> everyone, every human being's got an ego, but it's but no one is the same. If if you really break it down, and some you know utilize theirs either positively or negatively a lot more than others. And so I'm sure every everyone you meet, it's it's I'm sure it's curious, especially for you, to just kind of read into that a little bit and, and learn as you go along. Yeah, well, the human ego, uh, like I said before, people tend to think of as inflated or deflated, and it's more like an onion. I said that before. But it's uh, what the ego technically is, is an adaptive function. It stands to reason that if you're not doing any kind of reflecting, 
if you're not bouncing who you are off of somebody, because that's what relationships are, which are just mirrors, right? If you're not doing that at some level, then you're in your head with who you think you are. And that adaption becomes maladapted. And you don't realize how maladapted you are until life hits you between the eyes with a two before. And when that happens, you wake up. And so you have to kind of rethink yourself. And that rethinking, it's like, it's like an old suit of clothes. When you think about those defenses, I was talking about those layers and layers that we put around ourselves, around that candle. It's like an old suit of clothes that you put on. You know, the ego is formed between birth and six. It becomes a crystallized container between six and 12. And now the experts are saying the brain is not fully formed until 30. So the personality is constantly adapting and changing itself. But it's still just who you think you are. It's not who you really are. And, and how about that concept of the brain not being maybe fully formed until 30? And people hear, you hear the term midlife crisis being thrown out, and usually 40 or somewhere around 35 there to 45 is, is that tar- kind of target age group. And so all of a sudden we realize, okay, now our brains are fully developed, and now perspective changes over time as we age. And so uh, for some folks, uh, especially... It can be it can be uh, quite negative uh, for yeah. the most part. Well, it, we call it a midlife crisis uh, because we're not 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 understanding that, it's, that we're supposed to, to change the way we're doing things to move to the next level of development. It's only a crisis if you're not making the making the shift. And people don't realize, you know, you you've heard people say before that we only use a small part of our brain. Well, they don't realize what small part they're referring to. It's the left hemisphere of the brain. We live in a left hemisphere culture, and if you want a, uh, kind of an idea what, what I mean by that is that the left hemisphere only sees what's in the viewfinder of the camera. The right hemisphere sees everything that, that the left doesn't take in. So your, your goal really is to become whole-brained. Wow. And, and, that, and it's developmental, and so you have to cultivate the right side. It's not going to happen all by itself. It kind of makes me think of, a, and I don't know how this, if this ties in at all, and I don't know if we've seen it or not, but there was a movie that came out a few years ago with Scarlett Johansson called Lucy, where there was uh, Morgan Freeman plays um, a doctor or someone who studies uh, like the brain and the use of the brain and that most every human being only uses so much. And what were to happen if we were to actually expand and use... A, 50% of our brain, 75%. Mm-hmm. And, and, right. and, and, it all, and there's, of course, a lot of special effects. Everything goes kind of crazy. She kind of becomes a, goes into a different dimension, and all these kind of, th- kind of interesting things happen. It just kind of just, – just hearing that made me think of that movie. And think, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, it, if people uh, could just understand that the brain is a processor. It's like a computer. You know, it's a, it's a hard drive, and it's, it's storing things. Just the, sim- just the simple idea that there's a difference between feeling and emoting, people don't realize that. A feeling is a reaction to the immediate moment. An emotion is a reenactment of a past tense experience. And so look what psychiatry is doing. They're medicating emotions and taking people away from their feelings. This is why this is what people fall into addiction and drug abuse. It's the same kind of a thing is, is that uh, people are afraid to feel. As they're afraid to feel, they're swimming in their emotions. And so that, and so in essence, that's, that's what leads to unhealthy. Yeah, well, a thought goes nowhere without a charge. And emotions charge thinking. And feeling is in the immediate moment. If you took a class uh, in psychology, because remember, psychology is the study of abnormality, uh, you know, you're asked typically what comes first, a thought or a feeling. Well, you would flunk the question if you say a feeling comes first, because the answer is a thought comes first, right? Well, that's wrong. <laughs> A feeling comes first. That the, 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 the question, yeah, the question really is or should be which comes first, a thought or an emotion. And in that context, the thought does come first. We have a language problem. We have a context problem when you're talking about the entire human experience. 
Uh, and this is where, where I think the model's kind of broken in the mental health field. Um, and, and we have generations of young people where nobody's passing the baton uh, to the new professional helpers coming up about the worth of your subjective experience. You know, enlightenment is how clear are you about what you're feeling? And that clarity is based upon your capacity to stop and, and reflect and be introspective, right? If you're not doing those things, then you're in your head with it. And uh, I'm working on putting all this into a book as, we, as, we're, as I'm going across the country, and I hope to put it into some classes and material when I get done. Yeah. Uh, you were telling me uh, during the break that, and of course, you, you, you come out and you get on this journey, you, you, you hear about some folks, you learn about some folks, including like me, for example. Mm-hmm. You, 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 looked at, you looked me up a little bit, saw, you know, read a little bit about me, and, uh, and that I have, a, and I have a young daughter who's now going to be turning three in October. And I'm just curious, you, you talked a little bit about this already, but where, where the, like my generation, I'm pushing 30. And now, you know, she's only going to be about three. What, what is appropriate to pass on as far as our egos, our perspectives, our way of life to our kids or, our ne- or the next generation, yeah. if you will? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, if, if I had a child that was three, of course, it's developmental. Uh, so she, she's in that stage where the ego is still kind of like clay. It's forming. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so what you want to, to get across to your children, uh, what compassion technically is. Uh, people think that compassion, if you ask a lot of people to define the word, they tend to define it as uh, suffering for another human being. And it actually means to suffer with another human being. <laughs> and you can see the difference. For is martyr and sacrifice. And with is catharsis and transformation. So technically, to suffer with oneself is really what self-love is. So my advice would be uh, to any parent uh, is to teach your children how to sit with their pain and to not uh, run from it, to understand it, to, to understand the difference between their feelings and their emotions. Because if they have an emotion uh, that's attached to a thought, then it typically has a, f- a precursor that is fear. And so if you understand what your child's fears are, then you can help them kind of walk through you know, through that and give them the truth and the perspective. It's kind of like the boogeyman in the closet. You know, a child will say, you know, Dad, there's a boogeyman in the closet, and, and you'll go over and you'll say, well, come with me. You'll turn the light on, and you'll go, see, there's nobody in here. And then the child will go back to bed, and if they actually believed you, they'll go to sleep and everything will be fine. If they say, well, Dad, could you leave the light on anyway? They didn't really trust the reality test of the light on right? Well, that light on kind of analogy is awareness. We all have a boogeyman in the closet, but not all of us are going over to the, to that little string that's hanging off that light bulb and pull on it to see if it's really in there or not. And that, that really is the, uh, is really the job of parenting. They're not an extension of us. They just kind of pass through us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you want to be careful of what demons you pass on to your children because they will get your demons, whether you mean for them to or not. And help them understand them, uh, that, that they have their own path to follow and their own fears to work out. Uh, and, yeah, that's probably one of the biggest responsibilities of being a parent. To me, it was the coolest time in my life. I mean, I enjoyed so much being a father that it was, a, yeah, it was like crazy how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, Very good. And along with that, you know, when we think of being human, that, of course, means there's, we're imperfect. There are flaws as part of being human. So from what you've been able to learn now at the age you're at, uh, what are some of the key fundamental lessons that uh, if you, knowing what you know now, if you could go back 
couple, three decades, you know, what would you tell yourself or what would you tell others that you're trying to get across? Well, that there's beauty in your imperfections, that even in your imperfections, uh, that is your uniqueness, you know, that and... uh, you know, I think it was uh, Henry David Thoreau that said that the worst use of imagination is worry. Don't worry so much. Worry is wasted energy. And, uh, and, and, and to connect to your gut, to your intuition, to your inner world, and trust that. And, uh, and know the difference between what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And, you know, we have a technique in counseling uh, that when you're talking to a client or to a patient, you, you will ask them, what is it that you think I just said? If you actually use that technique, it's immediacy. It actually pulls the person out of their head and makes them reprocess what you just said to them. You'll be amazed the difference between what they tell you they thought they heard, you know, and what you actually wanted them to get. So just things like that, you know, just communication and connecting with them on a real and a true level, you know, which is a kind of a heart thing versus a head thing anyway. All right. Very good. Uh, we just got about, yeah, one, about one minute left, Aaron says. So just real quick, uh, just give us a quick uh, update on what's what's coming up next on your journey, Ernie. Well, I'm picking up the course today. In, uh, is it Manazola? Is that how you pronounce Manzanola. it? Manzanola. Manzanola. I'm picking up the course today at Manzanola. So I have two more rides, I think uh, 20 miles a piece to get to Pueblo. And I'm moving forward to there. My home base will be Pueblo for a week. Uh, and uh, I believe I'm going to be speaking at the Center for Inner Peace in Pueblo on Sunday, and you know, I'll just keep moving forward. I, I, I do kind of a leapfrog. I didn't realize that that uh, hikers had a name for what I'm doing. It's actually called leapfrogging. Ah. Uh, so I'm leapfrogging <laughs> from from Pueblo, you know, 100 miles west, continuing west, and uh, and and we'll see what happens next. Well, Ernie, we wish you the very best of luck. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Camino del Alma Minute. Again, my name is Ernie Vecchio, a trauma psychologist and wisdom teacher that has created a context for your adversity that once you understand it will absolutely change your life. You can follow my pilgrimage as I continue to cross the country at both ErnieVecchio.com and InnerLivesMatter.com. Hope to see you on the trail. Mm-hmm.